Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. No, actually, you know what? Let's, uh, yeah. let's, let's do it. Let's, let's do it live. We'll do it live. <laughs> Hi, Ben. Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back. It's a, it's a sizzly playoff edition. I might have some rants today. And to to guide me through it, someone I've wanted to have on for a long time, from The Ringer. How's that sound? Is that exciting? It is. It is. It's been really... Um, I've I changed my email, like, changed my email signature and like a couple of those other things that you do. But I had an interview a couple days ago. And I introduced myself and I was like, hey, it's Siri from Yeah, The Ringer. <laughs> yes, The Ringer. <laughs> it was like the first time I said it. I was like, yes. oh, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So Former, yeah, it's cool. Thank you. Formerly at Yahoo, uh, now at The Ringer, um, just r- a ridiculously gifted writer, if you aren't familiar with her prose. Siri Sohi, thanks for coming on. Ben, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, we've I feel like we've been circling for each other. You know I'm a big fan. I just told you that you're like very much in my YouTube algorithm. So I'm super excited to talk to you. Seriously. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. Um, right before we started recording, we realized we should start recording and talking about it because I was almost beginning my my rants about the games last night with the, uh, the Bucks and the Nets. Like... Help me out here. How do? First of all, what do you make of the playoffs in general? I feel like it's just madness out there. It's it's different, right? Like I th- I think this is a season of change. So I'm in a lot of different ways trying to recalibrate how I think about these situations. Um, whether it's the Clippers being down 2-0, there's a feeling of deja vu that I'm getting to the previous series. Um, how I think about offense is changing. Yes. The value of it is changing versus defense. Um, also, the people. The the people are changing. Donovan Mitchell he's, is he's like good. having a coming out party. Trey Young is having a coming out party. Um, the old o- order might be getting toppled over. Devin Booker, and, you know, with with help from who Chris Paul, who might be now the oldest important player in the playoffs. Let me think, right? I think so, off the top yeah. of my head. Yeah. Yeah. So it's there's a lot of stuff changing. So I feel, I think I probably, you know, we're in the business of we have to try to. <laughs> analyze all of this right so i can see how you're feel like you know you're feeling the way that you are in terms of i just don't know i have to like i said recalibrate a lot but i'm excited to do that with you um because it's just such an interesting time right now like the playoffs really show you like where we are i guess and this is you know if you take mitchell's bubble series the seven games last year against denver Mm -hmm. you know it's still a small sample um but you have two years in a row where he's just coming out in these games and to me just looking a step quicker than everyone to begin with and then leveraging that quickness with a with a like devastating outside shot um 
that goes with all the typical things that Mitchell does. And he's growing as a playmaker. You know, he's still not that alpha heliocentric model or anything. But you just look at guys like that and you're like, wow, this is like, how good is Mm -hmm. he really? Um, And to your point about offense, one of the reasons I like the Jazz, I mentioned this on last week's episode, that I think they became the favorite in the West when the Lakers kind of toppled over and the Clippers. Uh, I don't know how we haven't talked about the Clippers, so I'm interested to see how you feel, because I think this series is different than the last series where I think the Clippers, especially with Ibaka out, have I don't want to say too many flaws, but they are a flawed team. And then the Jazz, like they're doing this without Mike Conley. They're doing this without yet another offensive weapon. And I think where you and I are both thinking the league is going right now, the shape of these playoffs is like you need a ton of offensive weapons, like really good offensive players. And it seems difficult so far for teams to really provide that much resistance. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I'll start with Mitchell. Um, I think watching him... The bubble is a really good demarcation point, I think, for his game. And I think you saw more evolution this year. But we've watched Donovan suffer through a lot of misses. You know, and I think... I, so I profiled him when he was in his rookie year. And I immediately just felt like there was something different about him. Um, because he just had such a good relationship with failure and losing. And I don't think he would necessarily... I don't even know if he would call it failure, right? Like... But just the idea that, like, in order to get better at anything, there are going to be a lot of plateaus. And uh, you just, like, kind of have to have, like, I don't know what it is. Like, maybe it's the confidence. It's probably confidence. The confidence to be able to just, like, go through all of that. And I feel like that was really, like, what the first few years of Mitchell's career career were all about. Like, um, a lot of extension of his jumper, which for a while meant, like, too many long twos like he was missing a ton of inefficient shots floaters um you know the jazz gave him like a floater and and finishing package on his in his rookie year and he kind of like he just like kind of like tore through it and that's when they were like oh okay you're different so they gave him they started just giving him more to do and i think that like at times like i don't know maybe there were times where he maybe looked a little bit overloaded but if you look at like the whole developmental trajectory and where it's taken him right now i think like everyone comes off looking great in terms of like what the jazz gave him to do he could kind of walk right into into the gordon hayward role that was left there in, in mitchell's rookie year which which worked out great for him but like I just I just feel like everything is coalescing for him right now. And this is the time for it to coalesce. Like he's 24 years old. This is the time where things start to come together. I feel like, you know, this is maybe an athletic prime for him and his his brain and his skills have started to to come together as well. Like the pull-up 3 is something he's been working on for like over two years now yeah. and now it's coming together right like that's and that's an impossible shot that shot is like that shot is why we are where we are with offenses and defenses like what are you going to do if you're like he this he used this against against memphis in such a genius way and i think this is where you where you really saw his game evolve where it's he has a pull-up three it's a threat right um but he doesn't use it every single time. So he spends like 
a good chunk of game two just coming off of that that screen, knowing that the Grizzlies are a team that want to go over on on picks and that Dylan Brooks, his matchup, who has like <laughs> notorious foul issues, but is also incredible for them when he can actually stay on the court. He just comes off a pick, waits for Dylan Brooks to be over aggressive and just gets him to foul him. And he controls games that way. Like he is figuring out the mental side of this and how to best use his tools in order to manipulate other people um, in a way that like that's that's what I think like separates some of the, the really young promising guys and whether they can get to that next step. Like he's while having like these score, scoring explosions and coming out the first half, just like coming off every pick and hitting every shot. Um, he is also starting to like almost become a more cerebral player. Mm. And look, man, if that's who Donovan Mitchell is going to be and he's going to like figure out all of these things this early and the jazz are going to have like, the Jazz have so many creators. They don't have a Conley playing in the series, and Bogdanovich can run a pick and roll. Joe Ingles can run a pick and roll. You know, like it's just it's just difficult. Like Jordan Clarkson can come off come off the bench, and and I think I mean first like we can talk about we'll we'll table the Clippers defense thing I guess until we talk about the Clippers. But that's it's just really really hard when you have like Donovan Mitchell and then like a whole bunch of semi creators that are also like just really talented and smart offensive players that can shoot. And like, I love, I love Ingles lefty game. I think that gives the jazz so much more versatility is in terms of like just using the whole court. They're just, I mean, they're just an awesome offense that hits like really difficult shots, but also smart shots on a regular basis by like leveraging the best of their skills and so, they play really well together. So yeah, the jazz, the jazz are great. <laughs> yeah. So all right. So we're we're kind of on the same page with the Jazz because yeah. this is how I've been seeing them as the season was cresting, and then really I wanted to see basketball in the playoffs. And right after the first couple games against the Grizzlies, I was like, oh, okay. Basically, everything you just said about the Jazz team—that's what's going to make them very dangerous in the postseason against anybody uh some numbers before i get back to because you had so many great points in there about mitchell i want to talk about one in particular um scoring right now 37 points per 75 possessions that's the second straight postseason he's at that mark just for perspective that's like that's 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 good yes that's like (laughs) michael jordan and then everyone else um those aren't normal numbers although and I don't want to get too lost on the jazz, but like part of the reason I can't wrap my head around this season is there's more 30 point kind of scores than we've ever seen in a postseason. Maybe it'll mm-hmm. change as the rounds go on, but um, Embiid is at the same level, except Embiid is his efficiency is plus 13% relative to his opponents, which is like um, also good, also, also very good. Uh, and Luca just had a series where he was at 35. And Nikola Jokic is at 33. Um, Dame and Tatum just had series where they were at 32. And then you get to a guy who's one of the greatest scorers in NBA history, and you're like, yeah, Kevin Durant looks really good. And there are five or six players in this postseason with better scoring numbers than Kevin Durant. And I, mm-hmm. yeah, I just don't know what to make of this. Um, the Nets, we think of how potent the Nets offense has been well Embiid in the Sixers like when Embiid's on the court the Sixers have the highest offensive rating in the playoffs it's like 136 that number doesn't make sense to me that's like transition layups for LeBron James in the past right like that just doesn't make sense and Mitchell back to the Jazz they have a 128 offensive rating with him on the court in the postseason 127 
with Gobert in the first round when they had Conley, 133. So, Sirit, this is what I'm like trying to figure out. What on earth is going on with these? What What is normal? What is East and what is West anymore? <laughs> <laughs> well, certain, certainly nobody's normal. Um, I don't... I, I, I wonder if this is just coaches and offenses getting smarter and realizing that the best way to score a lot of points is to leverage your stars as much as you possibly can. Like we, the, the NBA is, is so star centric right now. And like everyone, everyone that's useful in the framework of an NBA offense trying to, you know, win a championship is somebody that can play off of a superstar and essentially like just take the attention away like people who give like either you space first for a star you play defense or you're like cutting like bruce brown like bruce brown is so valuable valuable because he does everything that stars don't do like he just want i mean that's not even fair to stars like stars are setting screens and playing defense it's the playoffs like you got to do all of it but um yeah just i don't really know how to make heads or tails of it other than that it's a lot of fun and, like, I don't know what, as a defense, you can do. That said, I mean, like, if we want to get specific, there are some things the Clippers could do on defense, right? Like, I feel like watching the Bucks series and watching the Clippers series are kind of, like, similar experiences right now where there are things that can be done. And, and you know what? The Bucks made some good adjustments. And, like, I'm sure we'll talk about that. You know what? Let's just get into your Bucks rant. No, I want to save the Bucks rant because I don't want to lose. Wanna save it? Okay. Yeah, because... Let's go back to Mitchell for a second. Okay. I don't want to lose this thought because okay. it might plug into what you think the, the Clippers defense can or maybe can't do. One of, I said at the top, he just looks quicker. And then mm. you, ha- you had a bunch of points that made me realize it's not just looking quicker. He is starting to process that immediate space around him much faster. Uh, and I think it shows up in probably let's say off the top of my head three specific offensive moves one is the use of the crossover uh the second which is related to the crossover is when to reject a screen this is all happening like in that first explosive attacking step which of course has always been an edge he's had but when you add a cerebral component then you pick apart everything in front of you the third thing i would say is the euro step which he's also probably had but it feels more dict it's like luca right but he's quicker it's he's dictating to the defense and in fact the jazz last night and i don't know how many times they've run this i just haven't seen all their unlike dave dufour i didn't watch 72 utah jazz games this year um so i don't know if they've always had this in their package but they've watched every every game he claims he watched every single utah jazz game this year um yeah so but he they had a play last night where he had a screen on the wing, and the second screener coming over to set what would normally be a stagger, like two screens in the same direction, flipped it at the last second because mm-hmm. Mitchell loves to get by the first screen and split the second, depending on how the Clippers are playing it. And that was like a baked-in adjustment at some point in the game where whoever was on the far side, it may have been Bogdanovich, sprints over like he's going to set a second screen in the stagger and then flips it because Mitchell is going to split it. And just that like space in front of him, whether you're crossing over, splitting a screen, and this goes to your point about the, the value of the pull-up. If all of a sudden now you've got the pull-up three where you also have to worry about that, that immediate space 
in front of him on that first foray seems to be the thing that he's really just constantly dictating. And I'm interested to hear what your defensive cure-alls for the Clippers are, because unlike last series, (laughs) unlike last series where I thought like, you know, people like to say this, like, can a team win four and five? It's like, yeah, they can, they can. And they did. And probably they did because they're better. Um, and they have more things to that they can go to as adjustments than Dallas did. This series, I don't feel that way. Uh, I just think the Jazz are probably they, they're doing this without Mike Conley. So to mm-hmm. me, they're just better. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the Jazz have shown that they are better than the Clippers, and at least in this series. I just find it so hard to figure out where the Clippers are going to go from here because they just haven't tried that hard. Like, I don't really know how else to put it. Like, they're just, they've just been super inconsistent. Um, The the players or the organization? The players. The organization, I mean, the organization seems to be, I mean, I don't know. Like, uh, I feel like Kawhi likes to, like, but okay, like, okay, this is so weird. This is so weird. Like, I feel like the Clippers, like, reset themselves. Like, usually you come out of a playoff series and you're like, this is what we learned. Um, And I think that, while Luca and Mitchell are very different players, if you've seen Mitchell's numbers on pull-ups this season, you would think that if Zubac couldn't handle the matchup against Luca, he's probably not going to have like the best case against Mitchell. Like I'm not always against resetting back to like your core values, but I just felt like the Clippers learned some very vital information about themselves in the first seven games that they played and then came into the series like they had amnesia. Like they've like, you know, like they're not their their defensive intensity picked up in the second half, but it's like, dude, this is game two on the road and you lost game game one. Like, you know, you're going to try. Um, And, and, you know, like Ty, Ty Lu kind of reset his rotations. Like the, obviously the, the easiest thing to focus on is just Mitchell hitting a bunch of pull-ups over Zoo, right? He's not going to hit as many all the time. But the fact that you've given him this confidence and now he has a rhythm for the rest of the game, I think is like probably contributed to why Luca had some of the games that he did against, against the Mavs, against the, sorry, against the Clippers as well. So like that's, that's the most obvious one. Um, we didn't see enough Terrence Mann, I don't think, um, who was fantastic um Patrick Beverly is back Pat Bev is actually actually had a really like I think they needed his energy I think I like I liked what I saw from him yesterday so like that's one of those arguments like yeah let's see how a different guy does in a different series but like it just feels like that's what game one is for and now you're in game two so at least like go back to what was helping you win. And I, that goes to the players too, in terms of like, you know, I think, I think Paul and, and Kawhi's intensity on, on defense really needs to pick up. Um, how, how like much? Kawhi, Kawhi found himself defensively in the, in the Maverick series. And like, this is something that he does. Um, he's actually figured out some things like on help side in terms of like, just reading what the decision makers are going to do that. Like he kind of carried over from, I think, from you know playing help side on Luca to Mitchell, that is awesome and just genius. And I don't know how it is that anybody guesses what anybody else is going to do, let alone an NBA player. But he's managing to do it. Um, but the end of, like the the ISO defense needs to be better, and like their execution on offense needs. To, they just need to do so many things better. And it's this is not to discredit the Jazz, but I really feel like you know the Clippers when they 
you know, when it's PG and Kawhi actually driving to the hoop and like setting up other guys, they just play a better game that I haven't seen from them yet because like they're the fucking Clippers and they're going to like <laughs> so, play a 48 minute game like once every five games. You know? Well, so, okay. So how much of once this? Once every five playoff games. Yeah, but how much of that is fatigue, um, you know, asking, like, take Kawhi. I just have thought. I don't think, like, Tyler wasn't, like, too tired to play Terrence Vaughn, you know? Like, I just, just there's things you can do. Yes, know? well. They're so, it's so strange. And I don't, I don't mean to, like, discredit it. I just think it's, like, it's so illogical that I hate to even use logic right now. You know what t- I mean? I want to say you've taken a sledgehammer to it, but we haven't gotten to the box yet. So I can't, I have to temper the yeah. the critique scale because for where I'm going to go with Milwaukee or on like a three, um, I'm going to take us to a ten. Uh, I'm just so confused. That's all. <laughs> I, I'm I'm more confused by the box. I, here's okay. Here's what I'll say about the Clippers. I mm-hmm. think the offense, their offensive efficiency throughout the year was fantastic, and their mm-hmm. offensive efficiency against Dallas was still very good, and their offensive efficiency in this series has still been good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Kawhi. And PG, whether they could do more, shoot better, all that stuff, I think that's absolutely on the table for improvement. But I think the general shape of their offense hasn't really been a problem. I actually think maybe sometimes we have too high of an expectation for the Clippers offense. Like they're just going to look like when the Nets are just blazing, they're just going to look like that. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I don't know if they have that. Like one of the takeaways for me coming out of that Dallas series that I said this series feels different is I just came away thinking, man, the Clippers just don't really have that many high-level playoff players. Um, Yeah. You know, like they have players that will stay on the court. Marcus Morris will have a game every once in a while. But look at last night. Reggie Jackson was your third guy. Um, In 2021, I don't think you want Reggie Jackson to be your third guy. Paul George, he's he's had better seasons in the past. I'll put it that way. I'm not sure we're ever going to see. Uh, I was a big Pacers Paul George fan, and of course, the year he had in Oklahoma City in 19 was phenomenal. And he had we, we forget this. This was one of my concerns about the Clippers when we had the summer of Kawhi. Well, I, I for you in Canada, maybe it was you have a different name for it. Um, but like when they got we together, call it the summer of Toronto. Okay, it's just the summer of Toronto. Yes, that's a that's a much better name. But George had uh, surgery on both shoulders, right? If I recall correctly, he had he had at least one shoulder surgery. And I think he had two. And I just I think Honestly. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, it might have been. I, I can't remember what day of the week it is, um, let alone <laughs> two couple of years ago. But uh, these, these are things that I think we still have the expectations. We still have the names on the jersey, all that kind of stuff. And I just look at it, and I'm like, yeah, Paul George is not playing like you've got LeBron and AD out there. It's not that kind of thing. To so to expect that kind of thing in a way is a disservice. And that's kind of where I am on the Clippers. It's like they're very good but that's about mm-hmm. it and there's only so much we can expect those guys to do at this point yeah so this is on gm Kawhi then i think that's the story yes i i wow. absolutely think that gm Kawhi. um yes absolutely i think that's it 100 percent. probably something that's not talked about enough is that he is now you could say he wanted to play near home and all that stuff but clearly there's an element of team building from hey if if Paul if you go to the Clippers I'll go to the Clippers let's make this happen 
And I said this a couple of weeks ago on one of my episodes, like if you, if in your head you're thinking LeBron and Wade or Jordan and Pippen 2.0, it's probably, yeah. yeah, it's not, it's, that's not the thing here. Well, the thing is, I just wanted a second star, right? Like, I feel like he didn't care who the second star was. Like, it felt like he was just calling people up that whole weekend being like, hey, you want to be the second star? <laughs> like, and they're just like, and just, you know, and they're like, ah, no, I'm going to Miami or like, you know, I'm whatever you're doing. Um, and it felt like Paul George was the guy that was like, sure, I'll be the second star. And it was like, OK, cool, let's do it. And like, there wasn't much beyond beyond that. Um I disagree that the offense has, like... I, I don't think that they need to be the Nets. Um, but I think that they need to leverage their abilities better. Um, Paul and Kawhi, I feel like both play a little too perimeter-oriented, especially for a team that, like, you know, if you're not going to have serve right now, if you're not going to... You know, they don't really have post threats, right? And they have a ton of spacing, I feel like they should probably be posting up more or at least just finding like better ways to get in the paint than to like be at the top of the key trying to always run a high pick and roll, especially when like sometimes that threat that's 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 setting the pick is not going to be like that great. Right. So I think that's part of it. I also just think that like if it's I think maybe this is just coming to terms with what you're saying, which is like that maybe this team is not that good because ultimately if you're going to like try to win this series based on like a balanced approach between offense and defense, um, they don't really necessarily have the person. Eh, I don't know. I but just, that's where I think, I think Ibaka's here. Smaller. Like I feel, you know, like I think they can switch more. I think they can play smaller. Like, what did you think of the zone? I thought the zone was an like I I usually think when you go to a zone. I have no problem with seeing whether it works. And I actually think it was really effective in the possessions that they played it, right? Mm-hmm. The tricky part with the zone in the playoffs, and I, I, you know, coaches and executives will tell you this, you go to it to see if it quote-unquote works, but then you better be really, really, really good with your evaluation methods because you can give up a couple open shots, and if they miss them, you fool yourself yeah. into mm-hmm. thinking the zone works. And then the rest of the series, you're like, we got to go back and try that zone again. Um, and it didn't actually work. They just missed open shots. The other issue mm-hmm. with the zone is a lot of teams seem to figure it out. And so, yeah. and so it, it's kind of like the way nurse uses his junk defenses. Like you don't sit in them all game necessarily, but you try to throw them in at times or against different lineups where you think they'll catch you, catch the opponent off guard. will be effective. So I always kind of feel that way about zones in general. And I thought it was mm-hmm. a fine thing to try last night. I'm not sure though, how much it's, going to really solve any of the the things that you're concerned about with them i think ibaka i liked the ibaka signing i think him not being out there takes away a kind of lineup versatility that he can provide for Mm -hmm. this team and so you know maybe it's just that maybe you lose a guy who offers you that defensively and you just have a gap there you have a hole there i don't i don't know i kind of wanted to try going like super small like smaller than Batum at the quote unquote center. Did we see much? We didn't see much of that lineup yesterday. No, that was from the last series. Yeah, that was in the last series. Yeah. yeah, I would like I would like to see a little bit more of that. Honestly, like I think that's probably the best way to counter Gobert. Um, and I also think that like it's probably the only way that you're going to consistently get good offense if you have like three of those guys on the court together, and then like even throw in. Throw in Rondo. Like, I would go, like, 
PG, Kawhi, and as much shooting and playmaking and, and the ability to run around them. Um, but actually, speaking of the ability to run, like one thing I was actually kind of thinking, especially when you look at like how vital Donovan looks, is like, are the Clippers just old? They, if you look at the ages of the players, it doesn't feel like they should be an old team. But mm-hmm. this is what I was saying about PG, like between the leg, the shoulders, whatever else has gone on with him, he definitely has lost, if not a step, a half a step, right? Kawhi, yeah. Kawhi is, does not move between the knee and the weight. He does not move like he did in 2016. It, it's, it's not the same. Uh, yeah, I think he can for games. Like I think he turned it on stretches. in game six, seven. Yeah, right? I think he can do it for stretches, and and I and I do think it does wear on him. I do think yeah. that there's a limitation to how long he can do that. But then you look at the rest of the roster. Um, again, on paper, they don't seem like they should be that old, but it does feel like you know Batum's Batum's thirty two. He's been in the league for a long time. Uh, well, he's his thirty two year old season. Marcus Morris around the same age. It's like. That that might be it. That might be that might be a part of this. Where and look, they just had a seven game series, and mm-hmm. I don't want to get into the load management with the Clippers, but they uh, they might be fatigued. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? What What do you think is going to happen? I, I, it seems like you think the Jazz are going to pretty easily win this series. I, I think the Clippers' offense is still good enough that they could uh, win another game or two. It feels to me like Utah gets one of these next two games in LA and then and then it's just trouble down 3-1 having to go mm-hmm. back to Utah for the rest of the series. Um I like your idea of going really small because to me that's what's going on with the the Nets this year playing Jeff Green. I've talked about this and Durant basically as your as your quote unquote bigs. Mm-hmm. Um they are continuing to cheat the system and slant toward offense. And this is part of why offensive ratings in the playoffs are like 115 league wide, because you're putting more skilled, smaller offensive players on the court in lieu of the big bruising bangers, the the dinosaurs that have gone extinct. And in this series, the thing that I was so excited about the fire and lightning between the bucks and the nets was that now they're playing like Bruce Brown at Mm -hmm. center Mm-hmm. And Kevin Durant's kind of really the paint protector because of his height. But Kevin Durant is as sort of thin and and frail as a 6'10 or 6'11 NBA player will ever be. And you saw this in the first quarter of game one where by the end of the quarter, he was like bear wrestling Brooke Lopez so he couldn't just move him inside. And in the first quarter of game one, the I have it here because it, it, it just nine of 15 at the rim for the Bucks and nine offensive rebounds. And I'm like, yeah, that's what this series is going to be. The Nets are going to need to put a big on the court, a real big like Claxton mm-hmm. or, or DJ or whatever, or they're just going to outscore them and do their do their Nets thing. And then all of a sudden the Bucks were like, you know what we should do for the rest of this series, Sirit? Not go inside or attempt to offensive rebound anymore. But we'll leave the same lineups on the court. What we'll do, what we'll do is we'll have Giannis shoot as many threes as possible. And Brooke, you go stand in the corner. Don't even go on the wing so you can get back and transition defense. Just go, just go stand in the corner so you can just spot up, but maybe don't shoot it that much because you're not that good of a shooter either. And um and yeah, off I am. I'm like I'm warming up. I'm just only warming up. This is the beginning of my Bucks rant. I, I, I've never seen anything like it. Do you think there's anything the Nets are doing to 
mitigate. Um, their defense has been a little sharper just from a team perspective than than at the beginning of the game one. Um, but it's that thing with the Clippers and the Jazz. Like, if the Clippers go super small, it's going to be up to the Jazz to say, hey, maybe Rudy Gobert should get more offensive rebounds. Maybe we should use him as a lob threat more. Maybe when he gets... Here's, the, here's my thing with the, with the Nets. When Brooke Lopez, who's an enormous human being and knows how to, like, catch the ball and score in the post, when he's switched onto by either Bruce Brown or Kyrie... I mean, Kyrie Irving is, like, 6'1". This is madness to me that they mm-hmm. can't throw an entry pass. It's just bizarre. Well, it's kind of, it's harder to throw an entry pass when Giannis is the guy that's out in, in the perimeter and Blake Griffin doesn't care that he exists okay. when, if there's going to be a mismatch. You mean, are and you... And all of a sudden, like, Blake Griffin has somehow become, like, an amazing help defender because you've given him <laughs> the easiest decision in his life. <laughs> are, are, you, are you suggesting that, that the three-point line is, like, cheese in a mousetrap to Giannis Antetokounmpo? Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. He did hit one yesterday, which totally justifies him taking eight. Eight, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, when you're don't forget, when you're when you're three for thirty, if you just make the next one, you'll be four for thirty one. Um it my next rant is did okay, so in two thousand nineteen, Giannis kinda takes the leap, right? Puts these things together. Bud comes in, helps shapes the offense around him, he wins MVP, no one really has any problems. Great regular season. Mm-hmm. And then people start to say, oh, he's got to work on his three-point shot. And and I have been on the no threes bandwagon. If I could get a shirt, like no threes or something, I would just wear it around. I always thought, add a, add a few simple post moves for the very reason we're talking about here. And if you want to work mm-hmm. on your shot inside 15 feet, like a little fade over your shoulder from 12 feet, he kind of he throws that shot in every once in a while. But that like inside 15 feet shot will help unlock his game. He is an abysmal outside shooter. Here's my question. I was thinking about this last night. Did practicing three-point shooting just completely ruin his shot ever? He can't even shoot free throws anymore. Okay, he- so I actually I went back and checked this exact thing. And I think so. It, I right? think so. Let me find it. Let me find it. There was... I believe I can't remember which offseason it was when he really started shooting more threes and you actually see it directly in his game log. What happens is that his attempts from three start going up and as soon as that happened, his free throw percentages started going down. Um Giannis's form is just a whole thing that we can cover or not cover. Uh, it's obviously broken. It has gotten progressively worse over the years. Um, it's I, I'm not and I'm not look. I'm not saying this to like trash Giannis. I think this is like a genuinely concerning thing for like one of the most amazing players that we've actually ever seen to like have this type of developmental atrophy in in his skills, especially when you see the other things improving, right? Like he's definitely worked on his body. His defense certainly I think gets gets honestly smarter by the game. Like he's actually he's almost become an underrated defender. I feel like it's just something that we don't even talk about with him anymore, but like he was re- he can wreak upside havoc and he does and he actually he has in this series. Like he's had trouble in like some of the isolation matchups and stuff, but like there was one where like it ended up in a Bruce Brown floater. Um, and, and like the Bucks got 
I, I went back and watched it again because it was like such a tough possession for them on in transition. But you had like Blake Griffin dribbling up, so Giannis like doubles him on the dribble so that he gives it up. Then like it goes to Shamit. Brooke Lopez rotates to that. Then Giannis rotates to Shamit, and then um, Drew rotates to Brown. Prevents the Joe. Like there's a pass to I think that he could have made to Mike James, prevents that. Bruce has to drive. Then Giannis helps again. Instead, and instead of a floater, yeah, you know, instead, I mean, instead of a layup, he hits a floater. And that's like in one possession, like it sucks because they hit the shot anyways. But like in one, first of all, good job, Bucks. Second of all, in one possession, Giannis has changed the course of the offense three times. Like that's, people don't do things like that. Like his playmaking has gotten better. But for some reason, like the skill development on offense has just not really moved a lot. And it's not just the shooting. It's his post footwork, um, his footwork in general, not even on, on drives, like the, the Euro step and the spin have become inc- incredibly predictable. He travels he, he, like, this isn't like he looks awkward. So like refs call travels, like when you get him in the post, he is going to travel, and it, be- <laughs> and it, it, it kind of immediately becomes evident that, like, I don't know, like, something's up. You're, 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 you're really getting into a lot here. He did. He had a spinning dunk last night that got at least a couple replays before commercial. Where even on that, it wasn't called. Even on that, he clearly traveled. He reshuffled the pivot foot and the spin mm-hmm. foot once he finished the spin. Mm-hmm. So and by the way, NBA players travel. I am talking. I understand that. Like we we this is such a low curve, right? Like I don't want to rag on this guy for traveling just because, like you know, it's easy. Like everyone travels. This is different. Like this is different. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- well, the travel aside, I think the point about the footwork and the predictability mm-hmm. of the footwork is an interesting one. Um, I still think, you know, given how outlying he is as an athlete of his size Mm -hmm. like that play in the game last night where by the way that game was only was that last night the the bucks game was that was that are you sure that was was the first game yesterday yeah that feels like a month ago it was just an experience it was funny after um i had the pvr going so then like as soon as i reset it after the Clippers game, it like reset to the end of the Nets game, and I was like, "Oh my god, that was a decade!" Ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just after the one game. Yeah, that was um, the offensive ratings in that game. By the way, were in the eighties. It was an homage to the year of two thousand four. Um, yeah. But but that play where he backed up against Blake Griffin late in the game and tried tried just. To hey, I'm going to ISO, but I've somehow decided I know I shouldn't shoot a three. And then he just gets to the free throw line, and he's like, "Well, if I go in the paint, I might get three seconds, so I'll dribble through my legs repeatedly." But let me back up. When he when he backed up, he backs up. When he backed up, I actually yelled to my wife, "What the hell is he doing?" Because I thought he was going to shoot. I thought he was going to run back to the three point line to shoot yeah. a three. And then here's the rub: like he backed up. But Blake is like, I'm just going to stay nine feet from the hoop. and Yeah, he wanted to get a runway. Yeah, he was trying to get a yeah. runway. And it's like, to me, the footwork plugs into what I was saying about his post game. Just give me – come, come, come off of a summer where 
you've got a clean drop step, right? Where you've mm-hmm. got some, you've got an up and under. He you've, only needs two post moves. A he hook. doesn't need a lot. Something. Yeah. Something. Um, I will take a sky hook, although that's probably asking for too much. Uh, after doing Kareem, it becomes it becomes like an automatic sky hook if it's Giannis shooting it. But that's kind of the thing, right? Like if he has one or two of these, they become unguardable. He doesn't need to run the developmental gamut at all. Well, there's this weird thing where he's still very successful on offense as a role man, as a finisher, as an offensive rebounder because of his athleticism and his explosiveness. And so you can put him in pick and roll and you can say, hey, I want you to play more like AD next to his guards. I want you to play more like David Robinson when he's off ball, whatever, whatever that template is. But then there's the, oh, five out offense where Giannis is in the middle and he runs everything. And that's where it gets dicey to me because it's like, well, he's not that great of a creator and you have a lot of warts or ways to take away his scoring. And when you do that, he doesn't really have that many counters. And so mm-hmm. he actually is a lot like um, early career Blake Griffin without any of the defense. Well, like just offensive end in terms of, you know, like really good transition creator, um, just explosive as all hell. Like if if you let him if you give him a runway, like it's kind of over for you. Um, that, that's a that's a, a great comparison. Um, and what I was going to ask you is what year, because I think it's like. Like rookie second, like yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like like when when Blake was super super aggressive, athletic, and was just kind of able to pummel anybody at the rim. Well, what's so ironic about that comparison, besides the fact that Blake is guarding him in this series, is that late career or mid mid career even Blake Griffin became so much more skilled, like his mm-hmm. his passing and his shooting mm-hmm. and his decision making, and that seems to be what's missing from Giannis and and. To your point, this is still someone who's at the top of the mountain. Like he's a phenomenal, mm-hmm. uh, especially with his defense. Um, yeah, just a phenomenal basketball player. But when well, you maybe, maybe there's a lesson in the Blake thing where you know even LeBron too. I think a lot of guys it took them until much later in their career for the stuff that they worked on to actually start showing itself because they were just so behind in terms of reps. And I don't think there's, that's ever been more true than in, in Giannis's case, you know? So I think if you compound that with the fact that like there have been some shifts in his developments over the time and perhaps some conflict in terms of like who he should be, like it kind of makes sense. Yeah. I mean, like if, if, if you look at it, I don't want to like get too. I don't want to look at it like, you'd shoot 10,000 jumpers and then you're great, right? But he is just way far behind from, like, you know, Ky- Kyrie Irving's had a basketball in his hand since he was 14 months old, right? Like, there is just, like, a relationship you develop with the game on offense that I think, like, is really difficult to replicate through anything but, like, sheer experience and doing it over and over again. And and I'm also okay with that because mm-hmm. to be his size and move the way he does, I've called him the modern Shaq. Because yeah. it's like when you have that advantage, I don't need you learning to create a pick and like spread pick and roll reads and the the, the shaker pass coming out of the corner and pull up threes. That's not going to be your game. And I think that's all the more reason to me why having skill development with simple stuff around the basket, footwork, whatever it is, is the pathway. I, I found mm-hmm. his free throw numbers here. Um, 65% in the last two seasons in the regular season and in the last three playoffs, 60% on 300 attempts and he's at 52% this year. So it's like 
it's going the wrong way. I need my planes, trains, and automobiles meme here. You're going the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a. Uh... I have questions. <laughs> I have questions, but yeah, like it's it's interesting. Like, well, what do you what do you think of what do you think of this series in general? Because I thought there were some parts of game two and also like game three that were really interesting in terms of like, I guess the direction the game is going. First of all, the score, right? Like, I don't think we've seen a score in the eighties this season. <laughs> um, it was I, I don't know like that that part of it was really interesting. I thought the Bucks were able to to get the Nets out of rhythm on offense, and this is like this is what's going to make or break the Nets. I think is just how quickly they can figure out when they're in these situations when they they try to get everything back all at once. And like I, I felt like the second quarter, and there was I, th- I think there was a stretch in the third. Where the Bucks just got like Kyrie and Katie to go hero ball a couple times, mm-hmm. and they they killed some possessions that way, and they just looked really really out of rhythm. Um, I think I mean Drew's been fantastic. Uh, foul like fouling and and just the way the refs call it, I think is going to be a major part of this series. Um, like the the aggressiveness that Tucker was able to to show towards Katie towards the start of the game was something that I don't think we saw. Um, yeah. In in the first two games, uh, the calls in general, right? Like the Nets just didn't get a lot of free throws. I think they were settling too. Like I think, you know, the the Nets can just you know blowtorch everybody, right? But I think that they also like one of the things that they do miss a little bit with Harden, and that like you see KD try to make up for as well is just like this is the rhythm of the offense right now. This is where we are in the game. Like we're going to slow things down. We're going to get a good shot, like a couple of sure thing paint shots. Right. Um, KD is like kind of trying to be a game manager. And I think like, he's actually been like really smart with it. Like there was um, in game one had a great third quarter. Like I think was about to get into foul trouble. Um, said, no, keep me in the game. Just yep. close third off. Incredibly strong. I think, like, had an understanding of the moment. I think coming into game two, just getting off on such a strong start, another thing that Mitchell did as well, um, just saying, like, I am him. Like, you're going to have to deal with me if you want to win this game too. Um, But it's ultimately, like, he's a scorer at heart, right? And I think that, like, balancing those roles for six, like, to win 16 games is going to be pretty difficult. Like, I think that's going to be, like, their biggest challenge because if they can actually just make sure their offense is right, and there's obviously always going to be like some level of variance in that, but like if they can play half court defense, you're done. Yeah. Well, like that's it. So there's a couple. There's a couple things with the Nets. One, I I still think their offense. So let me take a step back. I think the coaching staff uh, does not get enough credit for what they've mm-hmm. done this year. The and, structure versus flow thing with them is amazing. Yeah. Like that's how you find. That's how you find Bruce Brown. Yep. And they have, that's right, if you have lesser players on the court or you have one star instead of three or you don't have the right shooters, then Bruce, mm-hmm. Bruce Brown of last night, Bruce Brown extraordinaire, floater center role man extraordinaire, doesn't exist. But when you've got the offensive sets that they run with the personnel that they run, with the shooting, and then, you know, Harden is the best passer of the lot, but they can pass. Oh, let me go. Let me go back to another Bucks rant really quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the, the Bucks in this series are legitimately one of the worst passing teams I've ever seen. 
they have missed so many early hit aheads, cutters, or basic entries. Uh, and I understand your point about Blake sagging off. That's definitely been a thing, right? Where they're trying, you got all these complicated front to post, mm-hmm. three quarters, help side, and it helps when you have no spacing with the gut. But Milwaukee has, like, I study passing. It's, it's, it's a passion of mine. I'm always seeing guys who are cutting open. They actually hit one last night. I, I was in a group text and I texted, they, oh my God, they threw a layup pass. I can't believe it. I, they threw a pass to someone who caught the ball open under the basket and he what converted a layup. Uh, it may have been in the third or fourth quarter. I'd have to, I'd have to find it. Um, but they have, they just, see it. They've missed like every single pass to the point where when they bring the ball up the court, the ball's not popping. It doesn't have that like, oh, here's a cutter. You hit them, the defense mm-hmm. collapses, there it goes. There's only a couple possessions where we've seen it swung around and you get that movement. And that magic Brooklyn Nets zip. <sighs> the Brooklyn that Nets. How we get, it, that how we get Joe Harris corner threes, even though it's the only shot that anybody should ever be guarding. Well, <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's why Joe Harris is such an amazing complimentary piece to the, uh, to the Nets three stars. But we'll get, we'll get back to that. We'll get back to the Nets. <laughs> Just like... I don't think Milwaukee can beat the Nets. You know, hey, the Nets have to guard in the half court. I don't think they can beat the Nets and probably couldn't beat any of the other high-level championship teams moving the ball this way. And Mm -hmm. this is a team that for the last couple seasons, even with some of the issues they've had and the disappointing playoff exits, for the most part, has still been a pretty good offensive team. And to just see it like come to a standstill... I'm less worried about someone like Chris Middleton. Not surprised at all about his bounce back game last night. I think with everything we said about Giannis in this series, he still is putting up numbers because he has mm-hmm. such an advantage. This is this is the most porous by design. They, unless they put Nick Claxton on the court, this is basically by design the most porous interior defense you'll ever get to play against at a high level sort of championship type team late in the playoffs. So that will be there for him. But man, Milwaukee needs to like, okay, they're, they're shooting 20% as a team or whatever it is. But some of that is just, they're not moving the ball. They're not like, they're not getting, they're not pressuring teams by cutting and hitting open guys and then moving it again. And uh, yeah, I, I, some of it is not having great passers, but some of it is more of stuck in the mudness that we've been talking about with the Bucks. What do you think? What do you think is going on? I don't like to be an armchair psychologist, despite my background, but <laughs> it, well, no, I say that because it, it, it looks like they're shell-shocked, right? Like when they come up the court and you see a cutter, you see a backdoor, you see a guy who's, I don't, have they thrown an outlet the whole series? I mean, legitimately in your head, can you think of like, oh, there's a great hit ahead and they got a layup or a two-on-one because they're there. You know, I think we're going to start seeing a, a few more of those, but I also, I also think that like, the transition thing is really interesting in general. So I, I like first of all, I have not, I, I haven't, I can't remember one, but I also have not been watching that aspect nearly as closely as you have. Um, but the Nets are also winning a lot of those offensive rebound battles, which I mean that's kind of an issue in and of itself. But I also think, look, like let's give Bruce Brown and Blake Griffin a lot of credit. Like they are playing like this is a playoff series, and and essentially like. There's so little that you, that you can really control other than things like that. Like shooters are either going to hit their shots or not, especially for two teams that are going to be as reliant on the three 
as as they are. So I think part of it might be that. Um, but no, I haven't seen it. Keep going. Um, well, I, that that gets me back to the Nets, I guess, which is that if the if the Nets continue to defend the way they've been defending, and Brooklyn doesn't make, I mean, uh, the Bucks don't make any adjustments, any changes. The passing doesn't change. They don't actually go back to saying, "Hey, all right, for whatever reason, we can't run our entire offense through the interior." But let's let's. Maybe if Kyrie switches on to Brooke Lopez, we won't pop him. Why is Giannis popping on pick so much? Like these are the things that I think need to be changed. And if they're not changed, mm-hmm. if they're not changed, it's still just the Nets walk through them. I don't I don't know what the final scores are. I don't know what the series ends up four one four two, but it doesn't give me any hope for the Bucks. The hope for the Bucks to me is that you so game two, Milwaukee's defense was a mess. Last night in Game Three, Milwaukee's defense was like, "Oh, that's the Bucks' defense. That's mm-hmm. your elite league-leading defense." They, Joe Harris was like, "What one for seven from three? It was a, it was felt yeah. like a steal game, right? It's not a game. Yeah, to, I think like one for nine. Yeah, or one for eleven. Yeah. One, one for eleven overall. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. you missed a couple mid-rangers as well that were there, and it's like you're not going to win a lot of games shooting the way the Bucks did and playing on offense the way the Bucks did and playing on offense like that. Kind of lets Brooklyn off the hook so to speak for not putting a ton of defensive lineups on the court or not being a great defensive team so if that doesn't change i think that side of the that side of the court you're stuck um the nets i think the nets are doing like man i you want to give the nets more defensive credit i do i do want to give the nets more defensive credit um i think claxton has been great on on Giannis. I think Blake's actually like that's kind of like the one of the biggest things that have made the Nets so dominant in this series is that Blake has been like able to actually stay in front of Giannis on a consistent basis. Yeah, like the shots that Giannis like Giannis is. I think Giannis has just pretty much been his averages, if not like slightly below that, and more turnovers in this series. Um, he hasn't been able to like take a game over by any means, at least yet. We might see that coming. Um, I think KD's help has been great. I think that like Joe Harris, aside from like, you know, his, he had a really bad game yesterday. I think that's probably like the worst Joe Harris game I've, I've actually seen like in a, in a high leverage setting. Um, other than that, he's been pretty great defensively this season. You know, I th- I think I think they have a lot of really Bruce Brown is a fantastic defender. Landry Shamit basically like sh- like cut off Giannis multiple times, like you know, cut off Drew Holiday multiple times. They have a lot of actually like really solid and quick defenders and their help has been fast enough that I think it's just been difficult for them to make make some of those entry passes and stuff. And I also think that like they they just yeah man like Katie's there every time Katie's there every time that like Kyrie is is has a mismatch and I think that like, there is something to like the the passing aspect of it where like you know get get it into that guy anyways is probably there and I do think that they need to make some adjustments but like look man like the Nets are playing like a real defense they're not they're not by they're not by any means like you know the best defensive team in the league and I think that they will look more porous against you know a different team like I think I think either the Hawks or the 76ers would provide like some challenges for them on offense that, that the Bucks won't. Um, but like 
this is, this is like an above-average playoff defense or a middle-of-the-road playoff defense at this point. You know, like, they're not like the pathetic Nets defense. Oh, my God, like, they're going to be a sieve. And, you know, how is how are they going to defend anybody? Like, this is not that team. Like, they've actually done a, a really solid job. Agree. Yeah, completely agree. All I'm asking for from Milwaukee is if you have that mismatch, in the, as an example, if you have that mismatch in the post – the Nets are making the necessary rotation on the backside, so swing mm-hmm. the skip the ball. Like you can still play serviceable yeah. defense. The, that's and that's the thing for the Nets, right? Especially if Harden's on the court, their offense is so good they only have to be passable on defense. And they've they're, this group has certainly demonstrated that they can be passable. Um, all right, is there any anything else in this series? We, I feel like I'm all hot and bothered. You've 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 talked me off the ledge a little bit with uh and, and like I said I didn't even get to go on it too much but Nash and D'Antoni and the Brooklyn offense and the mm-hmm. mixture of se- like it's just this mixture of like old Houston fifteen Houston nineteen ISO Houston uh, Suns like pistols it's just like sprinkle in KD at the elbow K- Kyrie needs his two point three post ups but. It feels like Kyrie makes every shot he makes, and then I look in the box score and I'm like, "Oh, you shot like 44. percent I don't, re- I don't even understand. When, when did you miss?" <laughs> um, that's that's kind of the next thing, though. Like perimeter based plays, like yeah, that's, that's going to get you that. Yeah, well, that stat about them not getting to the free throw line, and I and I, what's weird is that is the representation of what I'm talking about, right? Like the Nets are speed, skill, shooting. And they mm-hmm. don't play size, and the Bucks put a ton of size on the court. Like Chris Middleton's a huge dude. Mm-hmm. Chris Middleton would be like the center for the for the Brooklyn Nets. He would play like center. Yeah, yeah. And um, do you they, think that they just need to try a little bit more on the boards? Honestly, like the because they're just they're just running back a lot of the time. So so the the glass is always tricky because of the the, the situation of the shot and then the transition defense, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I I would be happier if you said. Okay, we're going to keep Brooke up top because for whatever reason we think he's really pivotal in transition defense. And so if he's above the break in the middle of the floor, we can set our defense faster. But there is something to me to say, get keep a guy in the dunker spot, Giannis, Brooke, whatever, and mm-hmm. and challenge them. I mean, the offensive rebounds, so let me let me pull it up because it's something I started tracking after that first quarter. They got 9 offensive rebounds in the first quarter of game 1. Nine mm-hmm. and 44% of their shots were at the rim, which is way above league average. League average is like 29, 30%. Um, Sierra, they had six offensive rebounds the rest of game one. They've had, uh, they had, let me see, they've had 25 in the last two games, so about 12 and a half. So it's like, but the Nets mm-hmm. have had 21. So you, you'd think if Brooklyn, well, that's gonna, the thing, yeah, yeah, that's what, but the Nets have never been a team, especially against, um, uh, a team like Milwaukee that's going to take a ton of stuff at the rim. Like the Nets aren't taking a ton of stuff at the rim, but neither is Milwaukee. That's what's this is just the strangest series. Why play tall men if they don't go near the basket? So my next book. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Do you have more? Do you have more Bucks rants? I don't know. I think I've expired most of them. Have they, have okay. they been good? Yeah. Oh, Did, well, you your rants. Oh, yes. yeah. Yes. No, my yes. rants, not the Bucks. No, no. Did my yeah? Rant... I was very confused. I was like, wait, but you just did a whole thing. No, uh, no. have my rants disappointed yeah. or? Did yeah, they your rants up? have been great. Yeah, your rants have been great. I like a good rant every once in a while. All right, is there any other any other thoughts you have that we haven't covered? We spent all our time on uh, 
on these two series, which I think to me are the most interesting series. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I had a lot of stuff in my head after the last two games. Not much. I mean, I think I think uh, I still think, I think the Nets. I picked the Nets to win this series. I think they're going to win this series. Some of the stuff, you know, when you do, there were stuff. There were stuff that they did in Game Three that made me think, okay, like Game Four is going to be a really big matchup, and I think it still will be. But at the same time, there are some things you've said today that make me think maybe Game the Game Three win was a little bit more of an outlier. And obviously, like there are certain things like the Nets shooting that were just part of that is being on the road. You know, like your some of your role players. I mean, Joe Harris probably isn't have that game at home. He probably just isn't right. Um, but the Nets had some stuff just not work out for them. And yeah, I'm curious if, if that sort of thing can replicate itself. I think you've kind of like brought me back to thinking that the Nets are going to maybe easily win this, but I don't know. I'm just really curious for game four. I don't really have like a good, a good feel for this series yet, honestly. Well, well game, game one, the first quarter to me was so different than the last, like basically three quarters of the game. Game two was, a blitz. It was, that was one quarter game. That was a blitz. Yeah, that was a blitz. Yeah. And then um, game three turned into this 2004 game mm-hmm. where, you know, teams couldn't score and it was a defensive grind and it was tough to get possessions. The Bucks are 14 of 58 from downtown in the last two games. That is, um, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. great with the math, but that's that's not good. Yeah. That's not going to cut it. The question for me is at home. Can you get some of your role players? Can Bryn Forbes, for Pat Connaughton, whatever, let's say Bryn Forbes, maybe more likely, can he make four threes? Like, like PJ Tucker. (laughs) PJ Tucker. PJ Tucker is like one of eight from downtown in this series. He's Mm -hmm. typically a great corner three shooter. He's like thirty nine percent from the corner. So, can you get guys like that, especially at home, where historically it's more likely? to have a good shooting night can they win a game against the so the thing is i don't even know if the good shooting game from milwaukee beats the nets necessarily because of how volatile and explosive the nets offense can be mm-hmm. so it's like yeah i could i could still see milwaukee winning game four and then us resetting the entire conversation in game five it's like okay game game five we're right back where we started it's certainly yeah that's that's that the shooting and the role players is a big part of why I don't have a good feel for it. Um, I, it feels like variance has never played a bigger role in these series before. Like I think that was a big reason why the the Mavs Clippers series went back and forth as much as it did. But yeah, like I just feel like the team that's going to shoot well is going to win these games, honestly. And it's really reductive, I guess. But that's just how many threes go up now. Yeah, this is by the way also why I like the jazz in the West because they just have so many shooters and just mm-hmm. a handful of creators. And cause it's, cause it is, it is, it is reductive, but it's true. I think where you've got teams of shooters who are going to take 53s in a game. Although to be fair, the bucks, the bucks were only six of 31 in last night's game and the nets were eight of 32. So it wasn't like these teams were taking 53s, but you take a lot of threes and you're less likely to have, the huge swing in the game when you've got six or seven good shooters who, mm-hmm. I mean, what what's Milwaukee's run now? Like um, five or six straight games with 17 threes made. That's just not Milwaukee, uh, the Jazz. Yeah. Yeah, that's just, that's crazy. Do you think that there's like a consistency that they can keep up that some of these other teams maybe can't? Or have they just 
hit shots. No, that's what I'm saying. It feels like they're it feels like they're more consistent because they have defensive elements that we know work, especially building mm-hmm. building the paint around Gobert. And then on offense, my issue with them for the last couple of years has been a lack of firepower. But you add Conley, you add Jordan Clarkson as an explosive piece off the bench, basically, and you level up Mitchell. Um, they now have firepower, and they've and to the point you made at the top of the show, they've surrounded these kinds of players with skilled shooters and in the case of guys like Ingles like really good extra passers Gobert he doesn't take stuff off the table the the difference between Giannis and Gobert right now is that Gobert doesn't take eight threes a game you just want to talk about the Bucks man (laughs) no I'm off the Bucks that's it I'm off the Bucks (laughs) all right more pick and roll more pick and roll from the Bucks and I think I think we can get a good series out of this I think we've reached the end of the show. <laughs> ben, it was really good to talk talk about these series with you. Yeah, that was really fun. I I I was like, I gotta have Sirit on, and we'll talk about because your 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 work that you do when you when you do a profile on someone and you deep dive has this very it feels like this really fascinating oblique intersection with the kind of work that I do, and I'm like, oh, we'll have these incredible philosophical conversations about LeBron James improving his left-handed dribble and things like that, and we've just spent the last hour, just half of it's been me ranting about the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh, hey, we'll have to do this again. We can get more esoteric and, and big picture and, 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 and stuff, but I think we both I think we both like seeing how the small picture affects the big picture. So sometimes it's about getting lost in the weeds and stuff, but like, that's kind of like where we are right now. I mean, like, I think we are trying to figure out like what all of this means, but we're in the middle of it. So it's like, is defense over? I don't know. Like, let's like, that's kind of, it's up to the bucks to decide <laughs> bu- essentially. Right? The, like, can the bucks <laughs> save defense? Yeah. <laughs> or Philadelphia. We didn't even get to Philadelphia. Maybe see We haven't you, talked about that series at all, right? You look at that series and you say Embiid, Simmons, Thibel, like Danny Green, although who knows what's going on with Danny Green physically, but it's like, okay, can they save defense? Maybe they're the next challenger. You know, that's how it's starting to look for me. Like, okay, the Nets the Nets roll through the Bucks and then mm-hmm. on to Philadelphia and a philosophical clash again between the way now if Embiid's going to average 35 points a game against normal teams and Clint Capella, like are the, are the nets still not going to play a center against Joel Embiid? What? I'm trying to wrap my head around that. I have like a galaxy brain thing going on. That, that series might, might just be like Joel Embiid. Try to outscore us by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's gonna... <laughs> and, and then you get to the final, you get to the finals and potentially, um, I know a lot of people like, what's going on with Phoenix because Phoenix is playing great, but you get to the finals and potentially you're facing Rudy Gobert, three-time defensive player of the year. It just feels like a, a, philosoph- a philosophical clash at the heart of. Yeah. All right. You'll have, you'll have to come back and sort this out with me. Yes, absolutely. We'll, we will do it as you're, soon as we have some, some of, some of the answers to these questions. This we'll is, come, it's so, again. it's so discombobulating. You've, you've lost your seating. You've slouched down in your chair as we've, you're clinging to the top of your chair I'm, for dear yeah, life. Yeah, I'm, I'm spinning around. I'm looking, you know, I'm, I'm pondering. I'm staring into the middle distance. I'm just the, doing the, what I do. The this middle is what distance. I stare, do, at my, do, at my desk, do at my desk every day. Um, do you have any work that you want to, like, plug or draw people's attention to? 
Um, well, I recently started The Ringer. I'm co-hosting The Answer with Chris Ryan, which has been a blast. Uh, we just had we just had Logan Murdoch on to, to talk about villains. Um, and just it was a really interesting conversation about whether villains are obsolete in the NBA, what the future of villainy is going to look like. We talked about Trey Young. Logan wrote a piece about his kind of Joker origin story, as I like to call it. Um, it was a really fascinating discussion. We got into the Nets. We got into Kyrie. I really enjoyed talking to them. And yeah, so if you guys, if anybody listening to this is interested in any of that at all, um, you know, I think you'll enjoy it. But other than that, you know, I honestly just, I've, yeah, I just, I, I'm, I'm really glad we did this. I'm really glad we did this, honestly. Like, I've been, I've been watching your videos for so long. Um, you know, even before we started talking, we started talking a little bit more, I guess, over the last like six months or so. But I always used to just think like, like, I feel like you, you've been like idea snatching from my brain. And I feel like maybe you've been like, maybe you feel the same way um for a while so I'm, I'm just glad i'm just glad that we got to do this because i feel like we kind of live in the same basketball world have, you know what i, I, mean? I have spies <laughs> i send them over you have and I'm spies like, yeah, can in you, my brain is it, this inception do you, you've sent you've sent dementors over <laughs> extract extract the important information from sirit's head and that that's how i know you've been quiet lately that's why before i haven't made I a video think of it sometimes so before i even you know you've got the video out there like already ready to go before like the thought has even crystallized in my mind at all you know i'm gonna have to cut all this out this is why i don't know sirit thanks for coming on (laughs) thanks for having me ben (laughs) (laughs) if you want to support this podcast head on over to patreon.com slash thinking basketball it's the best way to support all endeavors thinking basketball we have a discord community we have historical stats there's additional patreon only content and right now during the playoffs, we are publishing every day uh, the back picks box score that has all kinds of playoff data for each player uh, and each team in the playoffs in the 2021 postseason. Otherwise, that is it for this one. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you're enjoying the playoffs. And that, of course, wherever you are out there listening, you are having a great day.